I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a fresh face, or should I say voice, on the podcast. She has a brand new cookbook out called Life is What You Bake It, Recipes, Stories, and Inspiration to Bake Your Way to the Top. We chat all about that, when and why she first started baking, and her Food Network digital series. She is a lawyer-turned-baker, cookbook author, and the host of Valerie Bakes Your Questions on FoodNetwork.com. Let's welcome Valerie Lomas. Valerie, welcome to Food Network Obsessed. And more importantly, congrats on the release of your cookbook. So exciting. Thank you so much, Jamie. I'm like super pumped. (laughs) Well, I think it's fair to say you've been very busy. In addition to the new cookbook, you also have your digital series on Food Network. And I can't wait to talk to you about both of those things. But as the foodie in New York, which is the name of your blog and your Instagram handle, I have to start off by talking to you about some of your go-to New York spots. I'm always on the lookout for new places to eat in the city. So let's start with what's your favorite dinner spot in your neighborhood? So to be honest, I used to go out to dinner so much more. Yes. But, you know, I still like going to, there's a spot called Lido in Harlem. Okay. Love going to that and Setapani. What do you like to get at those places? I like to get pasta. <laughs> yes. I recently went to Lido. I got gnocchi. Oh, I'm obsessed with gnocchi. It was so good. You have a favorite bakery in the neighborhood or takeout, or are you doing all of your own baking if you're eating bakery items? <laughs> oh, no. I'm definitely partaking in stuff <laughs> other people have prepared. Jinjin Cafe is really my go-to spot. It's a coffee shop, but they also sell like wraps and salad bowls and everything is West African inspired and those ingredients. So I'm a huge fan of Jinjin Cafe. And I'm curious, just your personal definition of a foodie. I think a foodie is just someone that likes food, like really appreciates food, also drinks wine, the whole schlobang, because (laughs) there are so many of us out there who like enjoy the whole like process of food, whether it's like eating with friends or cooking, you know, exploring different wines. I think it's just people who love and appreciate food. 
I couldn't agree more. And as we mentioned, you live in New York City now, but you grew up in Louisiana. And, and as I understand it, a family of bakers as well. So what are some of your earliest food memories from childhood? Yeah. So um, I grew up in Baton Rouge, born and raised till I left for college. You know, my earliest food memories, it was all about stuff like growing. So my grandmother had these beautiful fig trees and, you know, she would like give me these warm, juicy, straight plucked from the tree figs. And it was just like, I was just so enamored by it all. And um, I have a cousin, his name is Jato, and he had strawberry fields and he's actually still alive. He's a hundred three now, which wow. is crazy. But uh yeah, so like every strawberry season, my dad and I we would go and we would like pick strawberries and fill them with boxes and crates of strawberries. Um, and we'd go home and my parents would make preserves. What was the first thing you ever learned to bake yourself? Yeah, I would say it was my grandma Leona's strawberry delight. We called it strawberry delight, but it's really it's like a no-bake cheesecake. Okay. And it's so simple to make. Because the crust, it's a press and crust, just like flour, butter, sugar, the normal things. Press it in a casserole dish. And then you like whip up the cream cheese and the whipped cream. And then you top it with strawberry pie filling. And you could add like some fresh strawberries to it. That was what I was assigned to growing up for the holidays. (laughs) That was my dish. It's pretty cool because it's actually my grandmother's birthday today. And um, yeah, so she would have been... 103 today. It felt really special that my book happened to be publishing on her birthday. And I do share that recipe in the book. It's a variation of another no-bake cheesecake recipe. But that like same press and crust, it's in so many of my recipes. I've been making it literally for like 30 something years. I love that. And such a, an amazing way to to honor her memory. And I, I'm so glad to hear it's in the cookbook. That was going to be my next question. But uh, I know you started blogging. You started doing this while you were in your third year of law school. And anyone I know that has been in law school, they don't have a lot of free time on their hands. So I'm, <laughs> I'm curious what inspired you to use that precious free time to bake and also blog about it. I mean, I was inspired by the recession, honestly. My feelings were hurt because (laughs) I didn't have a job lined up. It was shocking because it just wasn't something I expected. It wasn't due to like anything I had done. It was just because of what the economy, where the economy was at the time. I was 24 and I was just like, how is it that I put in all the work, but I don't have a job lined up? And like looking back, I think I would have reacted differently. I would have like put myself out there and like hustled. Instead, I was just like, I want to do something that just makes me happy. That's like simple and meditative and makes me feel good. And for me, that was baking. And, you know, I started blogging about it because I just wanted to kind of like share what I was doing with other people. And, you know, I had a little flip phone and I was taking these really crappy pictures, (laughs) but I was documenting the process. And that's what it was about at the time. It was about like, documenting the process, being able to write something outside of like a law brief or something Mm -hmm. like very like technical legal writing. So it was really, it was like an artistic expression kind of outlet. I always had that love for baking and cooking, but I was able to tap into it in a way of that putting the hours in. Because a lot of us have like interest and passion, but until you like do the work and you put the time in, you know, it's, it's different, but that last year of law school, I I put the time in. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I'm sure you you really honed your skills as well, even though, you know, as we've mentioned, you grew up baking in that kitchen a lot, but it's its own unique beast. I mean, I personally am not a baker. I love to cook. I love to be in the kitchen, but I think there's just too much precision and science and chemistry involved for me. So I'm curious if there's any funny baking fails you can share from that time in your life when you were really putting the time in, as you said. Oh gosh, there are just so many. Like, <laughs> I like. Here's the thing. Yes, I grew up baking like family recipes, mm-hmm. but during that time, I had been collecting cookbooks. I didn't really put two and two together. It took me a long time to realize, like, this is something I actually want to do. But like all those cookbooks I had been collecting, I started actually like cooking and baking my way through them. And I learned by failing. Honestly, it's the best teacher because if you really give like a good college try and you put the effort in and there's like a mistake and you end up with a flop, you're going to know like what happened, why it happened. And you're not going to make that same mistake the next time. When I was learning French macaron, they can be tricky little things. And I had actually decided I was going to start a business selling them. And I didn't even know how to make them. I moved from France to New York and I just started this process of making batch after batch. And I can't tell you how many botched batches of macarons I made. Eventually, I figured out all of the things that were giving me like wrinkled macarons, like no footed macarons. And it was little things. And in that instance, it was about precision because, you know, the apartment I was renting, the oven was not calibrated correctly. But like making those things over and over again, like I swear any kind of circumstance, it doesn't matter if it's humid, I could be outside, which I actually was because we made them on uh, the Great American Baking Show outside in a tent, like during a thunderstorm. But like all of those oh little gosh. things, I can like adjust for them because I made them so many times and I messed up so many times. What would your advice be to somebody who is, you know, maybe just kind of getting started with their baking uh, journey? Just go for it. I think a lot of people can be intimidated by baking. And I really tried to break it down in my book so that there are a variety of recipes. And I want it like the majority of the recipes to be stuff that it's like you can make and you can feel good about. And they're not like something where you need some advanced amount of skill. But I also talk in the book about baking being a practice. And I I use this term practice bakes perfect because I played piano growing up. Anyone who's played piano knows practice makes perfect. It's like your piano teacher drills it in your head, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with baking. And there are just so many different recipes like in my book that I share that like you're going to nail the first time. Like you've got all the tips, you've got all the everything that you need. I made tutorial videos on like various techniques that you can watch. There's a QR code in the book that links you right to these videos because I want people to have success because when you have success, that's how you build your confidence. Mm -hmm. And the more confidence that you get, then the more like excited you're going to be to try like those kind of intermediate level recipes. Yeah, I love the QR code idea because obviously that is a place that we are all moving to very, very quickly over the last year and a half. So I think people are very adept, you know, using those. And it's kind of fun that you get to see you in action kind of making those recipes. But I want to talk a little bit more about your time in France because you finished law school. You spent a year in Paris experiencing, you know, the pastries and the cuisine So first of all, just what was your motivation for deciding to pick up and move your life to France for a year? Yeah, I mean, my motivation was the same motivation as starting a blog. It was like I did not have a job lined up. 
I was like, okay, well, I'm going to graduate and I want something to be excited about. I was a French major in college and I had already studied abroad in France a couple of times. And I was like, I want to go to where I will be happy. So I went back to France and I had like found a job, like teaching English 12 hours a week. I had no money. I had like less than no money. So during that time, I had this kind of like school year of freedom. You know, it was during that time I had French roommates and we would just cook dinner together every night. And it was actually one of my French roommates. Her name was Sophie. And she came home with this macaron cookbook by Pierre Hermé. And she was not a baker, but she made them. And I was like, you know what? Like, she's onto something. And I was like, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's kind of how I want other people to feel when they read my book, because I didn't go to culinary school. I just decided like, I want to make this stuff. Yeah. I mean, and as we discussed, you grew up in Louisiana, which obviously has a, a very heavy French influence as well. So when you were there in, in Paris, what kind of parallels did you observe during your time there? One thing is like the names of the streets in New Orleans are all like an, a hyper anglicized version of like cities and streets and Paris and their architecture. But the food is actually like vastly different. Like, yeah, in Louisiana, we like dessert, you know, we like pecan pie and bread pudding and pecan pralines and bananas foster. But dessert in Louisiana is so different than pastries in Paris. Like there's a reason that like, it's not called a pie, it's called a tart. And it's because <laughs> tarts are tart. You know, there's not like a huge emphasis on sweetness. It's so many other different factors. And with the food as well, like French food is really about simplicity these days where, you know, Louisiana food has a lot of sauces and a lot of rice. In a way, it was great because I appreciate both so much. And, and in many ways, I've been able to kind of like refine my own baking and food aesthetic. And it's definitely a combination of the two. So like my desserts, like, yes, I have pecan pie in my book and it is really good. But a lot of my desserts, they aren't going to be like overly sweet. They're going to be, you know, the focus is like on textures and making sure you can taste all the flavors and they're sweet enough, but they're not going to be like that kind of like sickly sweet. Well, after your year in Paris, you still came back to New York to start your career as a as a lawyer, as a public defender. At what moment did you kind of decide, you know what, this is not what I want to do. I I want to I want to do baking full time. You know, I moved to New York and I, you know, I ended up working as a public defender and during that time I was getting my macaron business off the ground and I actually was able to kind of like get some traction and some momentum building. And people, they loved my, they loved my product. But at the time, you know, at this time I was 25, I didn't have the business savvy. It kind of became a money pit, my business, just because it's like, if you don't have a brick and mortar, you have to worry about turnover. And I was making this very finicky little product that like doesn't ship well or anything. I actually just like shut the door on that chapter. And it took me, I worked for eight years as a lawyer before I like then fully took the plunge and transitioned to being a full-time food person. So were you still doing, you know, a lot of baking as a hobby during that time? Yeah, I would say I was doing some baking as a hobby and I would blog like every month or two, but um, it wasn't until maybe five years ago that I picked it up again, kind of like with gusto when I started my Instagram account, Foodie in New York. 
And that was when I was like back in the swing of things. Like, all right, we're baking every day. We're taking pictures. We're sharing recipes. Like I was like fully back into it in 2016. Were there any skills that you were able to build upon and take from, you know, the courtroom and your training there into the kitchen? Writing a cookbook is such a massive endeavor, especially if you don't have a lot of experience with writing one. It's like a really steep learning curve. And I think like the process of like going to law school and studying for the bar exam, I was up for the challenge. So I do think just that work ethic that you pick up by being a lawyer, you kind of have to, it, it requires it. I think that work ethic has really helped me. Also, you know, I did a lot of writing as a lawyer, so I was able to do a lot of writing now. It's different writing, but it's still writing. Mm -hmm. um, it's still about being able to like effectively communicate. I do think overall, though, I'm just like a, a more well-rounded individual, thanks to all of the different experiences I've had. Absolutely. You know, we, we actually had Erica Blair on the podcast, who is also a former attorney who just won Barbecue Brawl. What would you say to someone who who maybe is kind of thinking about making a career change, but they're already, you know, so deep, so far along, along one particular career path that they're kind of scared to, to make that leap. I think it just kind of, you have to look at your life and ask yourself, you know, what's working for me? What isn't working for me? You know, when you're in a job and you're making a lot of money, like if you're at a law firm, it can be tough to walk away if, if you've got people in your family who depend on you and that kind of thing. I think if you have a passion that you want to pursue as a career, the thing that you need to do is just get started. I think a lot of people, they want to like build up all the infrastructure around them first. And I'm like, you might not even like doing this. Like, mm -hmm. see if this is something that you want to spend your weekends doing and you want to spend your evenings and your early mornings doing because these kind of like creative endeavor careers, they can be all consuming just as much as any corporate career can be. So I think the first thing is like, just start. Do what you say you want to do on the weekends. Do it in the evenings. Do it in the mornings. And if you like it and you want to do it more, then that's a really good sign. Come up with a plan so that you can like take the plunge and go all in. When we come back, Valerie shares more details about her new cookbook and tells us about her Food Network digital series, Valerie Bakes Your Questions. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You were the winner of the Great American Baking Show. Unfortunately, 
your season didn't fully air due to a controversy with one of the hosts. So, you know, being able to use that public victory as the springboard for this career that you love so much, not really an option. How did you handle just that disappointment and and continue to press forward anyways? I was like, this isn't going to stop what it is that I'm trying to do. That's what I believed. And I knew it was just going to like take a lot more work and a lot more like a lot more connecting with the right people. And I will say by that controversy, I was able to get mentors in the food media space. And I was able to meet people in food media. And that has been like instrumental in everything that I've done since. So even though I didn't get like the show airing and like the public support and following, I was able to tap into a part of the industry that that had been closed to me before. And it's, you know, so important in this business to have those mentors and and people that you can trust and people that, you know, are in your corner rooting for you and advocating for you. And I imagine you still learned a lot throughout the course of the competition, you know, through the competitions, you kind of mentioned uh, baking the macaroons in a, in a rainstorm under a tent. Uh, what are some of your most valuable takeaways from filming that show? Yeah, I would say like one takeaway is just like having confidence in my baking and trusting my like baker's intuition. Because like when you are like baking for friends and family, you don't really know how you would like stack up against other people or even just getting that like real critical feedback. And I think like, you know, if you go to culinary school, you get that actual like critical feedback of like this worked, this didn't do this better. And so on the show, I was able to get valuable feedback and I, I had to rely on my own instincts. And that's something that now I think when we're in the kitchen and we're cooking or baking, if you have a question, you go to Google or like I call my mom, but I didn't have that option there. So I learned to trust myself and I met a lot of awesome people. Like one guy, Hector, he taught me like how to make caramel without burning it. A woman, Molly Brodak, she, I called her my baker bestie. She was like a cookie queen and she was, you know, tasting my cookies and telling me, all right, I think it needs a little more of this or, oh, that's perfect. Uh, so just being able to connect with other, with other bakers who were so similar, like Hector was a lawyer. Molly was an English professor. It felt like these were my people. That was definitely a very huge positive that I took with me and still carry to this day. Yeah. And I think the title of your cookbook, Life is What You Bake It, is so appropriate, so authentic based on everything you've just talked about. Can you kind of share just the process of creating the cookbook and where you you know, drew all of your inspiration for your recipes? I started working on the proposal fall 2017. Like Honestly, wow. right after I got back from London from filming, I started working on the proposal. You know, the, the inspiration from the recipes is I think like deep down, even though I had, had not admitted it to myself, I knew I wanted to write a cookbook. So even though I had this blog, like those like most valued like family recipes or recipes I picked up along the way, I knew I was saving them for like something where I could tell a more robust story surrounding these recipes. You know, the process of writing the book was just kind of like, 
updating some of these recipes, tapping into like feelings, my own feelings, and trying to write from this like really honest place, which was actually really hard. And I would be like all up in my feelings at a coffee shop, like, (laughs) you know, in tears as I'm like trying to tell this story because I'm, I'm trying to go to that place so that I can just share that most authentic part of myself. So I mean, the process, it was long, it was hard. And I'm just really proud that like, I was able to like accomplish it in a way that I'm just really excited for people to get to see and to read and to bake from. Did you lean on any of those mentors that you talked about while you were writing this book? Yeah, I did. When I was like writing the proposal, this was honestly like a year into the proposal process. And I had just like left my job like a few months prior And I was just sitting at home like, why can't I finish this proposal? I had major writer's block. And um, I reached out to Dana Cowan, who she had connected with me earlier. And I was on her podcast speaking broadly. I know she was like really busy because she was like, oh, you know, let me check my schedule. And she was like, well, I can meet you at like 8 a.m., like in the East Village at this little shop. And so and she was like, I can meet you there for an hour. And I was like, oh, she's like putting me at the top of her day, which is really nice. That's really early. But we met and we talked and she was just like, all right, you have a plan. Now go do it and like go finish it this weekend. She was like, you're fast. Just go finish it. And I did. This whole cookbook process took so many amazing people, so many amazing women who have just been so generous with like their time and their talent and their resources. It is not lost on me. This was this was basically a group project in many ways, right? If someone could try one recipe from your book or maybe the first recipe they should try, what would you say is the one? Uh, I'm a breakfast girl. So I like most of the things in the morning treats chapter, but I like the crispy ridged pancakes just because like a good pancake is really important. I think because fall is coming, the pumpkin bread is super good. I recently made the banoffee pie for my little sister and her fiance and his family. And it was a huge hit and it was really fun to make. So any of those would be great. And now you have a Food Network digital series, as we mentioned at the top of this interview, Valerie Bakes Your Questions. So basically you kind of guide viewers through recipes, really break down baking basics. So can you kind of just describe what it feels like to be part of the network and have your own series like this? Food Network, they are amazing. Because like ever since I became a freelancer, it can be like the freelance life and managing a business and having clients like you know, it's like a bag of what am I about to get? And the whole like Food Network team, like it really does feel like part of a family. And they came behind me on this vision that I had and they helped me execute it so beautifully. And filming the show was just such a joy. I'm obsessed with some of the recipes that we did, like the lemon pound cake. It's just so good. And I love it because like, I'm, you know, talking about like my dad, he's like a self identified, proclaimed, I'm just a country boy. You know, he's telling me about like, you know, every Southern woman knows how to make a good pound cake. And like, you know, (laughs) is that true? Listen, it's true if you follow my recipe. Okay. So that lemon pound cake recipe and so many people have made it and they've just told me how much they love it. So it was really fun to like get to share those recipes and also like get to share the context behind the recipes. So the lemon pound cake, I love Uh, the Valentine's Day red velvet 
heart cookies that I got shipped to my two-year-old niece <laughs> it was just like so special. And she's actually, I call her like the star of the cookbook because she's she's in so many of the photos and we just, we love baking together. So it was really special to have her make a cameo on Valerie Bakes Your Questions. And then the sweet potato pie, like going over like how to make pie crust and how to make this like really classic quintessential dessert that like you guys should make it this Thanksgiving. Please look it up and make that recipe. What are some of the more like common just questions that you kind of address on the show? Yeah, I think about pound cakes, like because you make it in a butt pan. And a lot of people are like, how do you get your pound cake out of the butt pan? So we talk about that. And you know, you make this paste with like flour and really softened butter, and you brush it all over the pan. Or like an even quicker fix is get baking spray with flour, give it a good spraying. And then like the number of minutes from once you remove it from the oven to when you flip it over. And like, it's really not like a mystery. There's like steps and there's a science to getting your bunt cake cleanly out of the bunt pan. Uh, we got lots of questions about holiday cookies, how to keep them fresh, how to ship them. And we go over all of that. What's like the biggest baking mistake that, that you often see? People probably like, over handle and over mix things like a lot of like baking it just can't tolerate that you have to be a little bit more gentle with things so whether it's like a cake batter you don't want to overdo it you don't want to over mix it or even like a cookie dough you don't want to like crank the the mixer up so high that it's like beating the life out of the eggs same thing with pie crust you don't want to overhandle it and biscuits all you know so just like have have a light touch <laughs> <laughs> what about uh must have pantry staples for baking i like my baking spray with flour so growing up when I would like flour a cake pan, it's like, all right, you got to take the softened butter and then add the flour. And a regular cake pan really does not need all of that. So just giving that like a, a quick spray down. I have a stock pantry, you know, flour, baking powder, sugar. If you like your yeast raised breads, have some yeast on hand. I have a whole chapter on bread in my cookbook. A lot of which is yeast raised. Some isn't. Some is like I have cornbread and I have, I have hush puppies, which is like, little fried rounds of cornmeal type batter. So good. (laughs) They're so good. Honestly, like baking, it's, it's alchemy because you really only have a handful of ingredients and by how you combine them and how you, how you prepare it and how you cook it, there's like a whole world open to you. Yeah. Well, as the kids say, I was today years old when I learned that there is baking spray with flour in it. So I need to go get that immediately. I mean, maybe maybe that'll help my my baking confidence (laughs) a little bit more. It will. And the thing is, it is fairly new, but it's everywhere now and multiple brands make it. I got to go check that out. As someone whose you know path is obviously constantly evolving, what is next for you or or what, what do you hope is next for you? You know, right now the focus is definitely just getting this book into the hands and, and kitchens of as many people as possible. I enjoyed making Valerie Bakes Your Questions so much. I definitely want to make another series. I'm, I'll be working on my next book soon also. So. Okay. So there's going to be a sequel to the first cookbook. There will definitely be another cookbook. Well, this has been so much fun. We do want to end with a little rapid fire round. And then we have one final question we ask everybody here on Food Network Obsessed. So if you could only bake one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Carrot cake for sure. All right. Croissant or biscuit? Biscuits. But I love croissants. But like, I think biscuits I can't live without. 
that's a fair answer. Favorite city you lived in? You know what? I'm just going to like romanticize this and say Paris because I just like walking down the street in Paris. It just feels so like... Like like you're in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Or you're like in some Hemingway novel like yes. set in a whole nother time period, you know, and the gray clouds and like, you know, smoke wafting and the little crepe stands. Yeah. Give me <laughs> Paris all the time, every time. All right. What about favorite city you've traveled to? The most like interesting experience I had was when I went to Guadalupe and it was my first time out of the country. It just opened up my eyes to like this whole other culture and language. Do you remember like anything that you ate there that really stuck with you? Yeah. I remember we went to the beach and there were like goats and then we had goat stew for like a feast they had prepared for me. At the beach, they were like, Colombo, which I think is the Creole word for it. And then when we were having dinner, they were like, this is Colombo. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like 16 at the time. And I was just like, Colombo, Colombo, like what? Because in Louisiana, I didn't know that, you know, we ate goat in the world, but I ate it and it was good. And, you know. And here we are. Go-to comfort food. Mac and cheese. It's a good one. Uh, How do you unwind after a long day? I've been going to acupuncture, (laughs) which I love, but on days where I can't do that, you know, I watched The Office. Yes. I think I've seen the whole series now like five or six times. It's getting ridiculous. (laughs) Favorite guilty pleasure? I love getting upgraded on flights. (laughs) Like that's the best because like, yeah, it's just give me a flight upgrade, please. I mean, who doesn't love a flight upgrade? Every time. (laughs) What music do you listen to while you're in the kitchen? I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. And by a lot, I mean like one podcast. Um, (laughs) I'll just tell you, it's called Gymcastic. I'm a gymnastic super fan because I was a gymnast growing up. Oh, wow. But otherwise, I listen to 90s R&B and also music from the early aughts because I just like apparently can't get out of like the music I listened to in high school and college. I, I do the same same thing. So <laughs> right there with you. Favorite Food Network show? Of course, I love Molly Ye's show. I mean, she's such a, an amazing role model. And she kind of like created this blueprint for like being awesome and just being so herself and being just like so true to like her amazingly like quirky, wonderful personality. And it's just so like, yeah, I love her show. I love her book. Her book really inspired me to like try to like weave together a story because she's a great storyteller. So Girl Meets Meets Farm is final answer. (laughs) Yes. And she is a ray of sunshine. We had her on the podcast and she was just as lovely as uh, what we see on television. So, uh, all right. One final question. This is the one that we close out every podcast interview with. We ask everybody the same question. What would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we want to know your breakfast. We want to know your lunch, your dinner, dessert. You can throw a snack in if you want. It's totally up to you. It is your day. You can travel, time travel, spend however much money you want. Basically, there's no rules. So uh, this is your day. We want to hear it. All right. So breakfast. The month is April. The location (laughs) is South Louisiana. And it's the height of strawberry season. Okay. And I'm having strawberry smash. I think it's like the second recipe in my book. It's literally just fresh strawberries that you like take a fork (laughs) and (laughs) smash them up. And you can put like the tiniest sprinkle of sugar. Oh my gosh. It's just like, because you have to have them at the height of strawberry season to like, I've tried to make them like with like supermarket 
strawberries. No, it doesn't work because they don't like release their juices in the mm-hmm. same way. And like, you then you just like slurp up the juice. Oh my, oh my oh, gosh. Oh, wow. This so that's, sounds, <laughs> that sounds delight, a delightful start to your day. It's so, it's so delightful and refreshing. So that's pre breakfast. Okay. And then a little bit later, you know what? We're going to indulge and we're going to have brunch and we'll have a savory souffle. We'll have a cheese souffle. We'll have biscuits and we will have champagne. Like, yes. Some people can have mimosas. I'll have my mimosa orange juice free. I do the same thing. And have champagne. And you know what? I might afterwards have a cup of coffee with like a shot of Irish cream in it. Just one shot, one cup of coffee, which is Love my that. like Christmas day beverage. Cause you know, you can't just be spiking your coffee on the regular. You are speaking my language. My, <laughs> my sister and I do the same thing. We get so excited. We, we buy the bottle and we're like, it's time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, so breakfast, we, we've got our cheese souffle and our biscuits and oh, we will have them with jam. Okay. It can be strawberry, fig, blackberry, as long as it's homemade. You know what? For dinner, we're going out to eat because we're not doing any more dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, as someone who like cooks a lot for other people, I really appreciate when people cook for me. I think people, they get intimidated when they're cooking for a chef. And I'm like, you should not be intimidated at all because I am so grateful because of just mm-hmm. like the effort and the love. So I will let whoever I'm with like handle all the plans for dinner. But um, I have things that I love. So like I've said this already, but I love gnocchi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a well-made gnocchi. That's just like so light and so The potato gnocchi or yes. the ricotta gnocchi? Pota- or potato. Potato. Okay. But and I'm what- not, look, I'm not mad at ricotta if it happens. Okay. What about but- like what kind of sauce do you like on your gnocchi? Some kind of white sauce. Okay. Yeah. Not red sauce. No. Okay. Save that for spaghetti. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, if there's gnocchi involved, that would be great. And then for dessert, like make me, make me something from my cookbook, whoever's taking okay. me to dinner. You don't want to make it, but you want... I want to eat it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like something like that's really like is really special. Like I love the I have a chocolate caramel tart Mm. in the book, which is actually nice because it can be made in advance and you just come home from dinner and have a slice. It's really rich or chocolate souffle. If you're noticing a souffle theme. Yes, I'm a Francophile lover of French things. I'm hungry now. I know. Well, that sounds like a lovely day. It sounds, you know, very on brand. So uh, best of luck with the cookbook release. I'm so excited for you and excited to see what's on the horizon as well. But uh, best of luck with all of that. And thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It was so lovely speaking with you. I love her perfect food day that it includes champagne and also some coffee with some Irish cream. That sounds much like what mine might be. So a huge thank you to Valerie for joining us today. And for more of Valerie, you can check out Valerie Bakes Your Questions on foodnetwork.com. And of course, pick up a copy of her cookbook, Life is What You Bake It, out now. Thanks so much for listening and make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Bye.